are halfway through the book of James. Uh, We are gonna be finishing, as Chris mentioned this morning, uh, the end of chapter three. And so just, I wanna give a real quick snapshot of where we've been. We've been calling this series Faith in the Flesh. And really what that means is how do we live out faith in God in the everyday stuff of life? Like, how does that really look? Like, if I say that I have faith in God, what does that really look like in practice in the everyday? Um, And so we've been looking at several ways that faith is lived out. So we've already seen that real faith, true faith in God produces a stability in our life or a, James uses the word as steadfastness. Um, and we've seen that when we face trials of various kinds, that true faith allows us to withstand those trials. True faith allows us to resist temptation when it comes our way. True faith in God helps us to obey God's word and take God at his word and actually follow him. We've also seen that faith produces love, a genuine love. And so we've seen how real faith in God is lived out when we choose not to show favoritism, that we choose not to be racist or stereotypical of people, but that that true faith lived out is loving others. It's actually putting to uh, money where our mouth is. If we say we actually follow Jesus, then we're actually going to live it out everything that he said and done. And then as we already mentioned and what Chris preached on last week is that true faith in God also means that we are a people that choose not to harm others with our tongue. That we're a people of good news. That in the words that we speak, that we build up rather than tear down, that we look for unity rather than disunity or division. And so today in the end of chapter three, James is gonna say, here's another way that real faith, true faith is lived out is that it produces a gospel wisdom in our lives. And we say gospel wisdom, you could say godly wisdom. Or we're gonna use the word gospel because gospel is the good news about the person and work of Jesus Christ that fuels everything in our life. So true faith, what does that look, look like in the everyday stuff of life? Well, it's going to produce in us gospel fruit, Gospel fruit. And this is where James digs in. So I'm gonna invite you. Uh, We are in verse 13. And if you would stand with me as we read God's word, we're gonna stand in reverence for God's word this morning. We're gonna be considering verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not be boast, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice but the wisdom from above is first pure and it's peaceable, it's gentle, it's open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is God's word. 
Father, we ask this morning you give us ears to hear that the eyes of our hearts would be open to embrace and accept your word as it is the true word. And that it would not just be setting in our ears, but would transform our hearts so that you receive the glory and those that we are sent to would see the goodness of Christ. Father, set a guard over my mouth that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and redeemer. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Who is wise and understanding among you? That's the question that James starts with. And that's like the question we want to ask ourselves. Like, am I wise? Not me personally. You can say yes to that, right? No, but am I, if you look at yourself, am I wise? And if so, what does that really look like? And um, how is that lived out? And so um, if wisdom, this whole book is about that. And James is saying like, I want you to be a wise people. What does that really look like in my life? And, and James is going to help connect us with that answer today because he shows in this passage, there's two different kinds of wisdom. There's a godly, or as we've mentioned, a gospel wisdom. And then there's a worldly wisdom that looks more like the culture around us. And so he's gonna contrast those two And I'm hoping that as we ask that question about ourselves, am I wise, that the wisdom that you desire is the wisdom of God and not the wisdom of the world. And if you can recall, we look back, uh, jump back to chapter one, verse five, where we've already seen James talk a little bit about wisdom, right? Where he said, if any of us lacks wisdom, ask God for it. Ask God to help you. And don't doubt when you ask, but believe that if you truly ask God for wisdom, he's gonna give it to you to withstand temptation, to face any trials, just for the everyday stuff of life. Like I totally need wisdom just to like meet my Monday, just to to go to work tomorrow. It's like, man, I, I need wisdom. I need wisdom to deal with my colleagues, God. I need wisdom uh, with the relationships that I have or things going on in my life right now. I just, will you help me with that? And so we gave a definition for wisdom. And we said that wisdom is this God-given, that's the key, God-given ability to actually understand God's will and to live it out in all of life. Okay, so wisdom is a God-given ability to understand God's will and not just to understand it in the head, but to really believe it in the heart and then to live it out through the hands. It's to understand God's will and to live it out in the everyday stuff of life. And so now James is gonna say, here's what that actually looks like, okay? We have the definition of wisdom. This is what it looks like in the everyday stuff. This is the fruit that is coming out of a gospel-wise life. And so how do I know that I have it? What does it look like then? And, and so James is saying, hey, if you know that you have gospel wisdom, it's gonna be evidenced by the fruit that's coming out of your life. And so we need to look inside ourselves and say, hey, is wisdom, first of all, taking root in our heart? And secondly, we look outside ourselves and say, is gospel wisdom actually producing fruit in the things I say? and the things I do in my mind? Is there really fruit there? And so we're gonna ask that question this morning. What does it look like in my life? And look at verse 13 again. James starts and he says, 
Who's wise and understanding among you by his good conduct? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. And what James is doing here is he's connecting what he's already said previously, where he says, like, if you say you you love Jesus, if you say you have faith in Jesus, then you better show it. Because it doesn't—it means nothing if you say, "Well, I believe in Jesus," and your life doesn't reflect the good news in word and in deed. And so James is saying that gospel fruit is manifested in your life as you work out all of life for the goodness of others, for the glory of God. What does it look like in your life? So we're going to ask, "What does it look like?" We're also going to say, "Well, where do I get that then?" If this is the wisdom I'm supposed to have, where do I actually get this wisdom? Where does it come from? So one of the first things that that we see that James tells us that wisdom, gospel wisdom produces is meekness. Meekness, he says that again. In the meekness of wisdom. James has already used this word, right? We saw it back in verse 21 of chapter one where James was saying, wisdom, you have to have it. It's like a prerequisite in order to even understand and receive the good news of Jesus. And he says, I want you to have this meekness to accept God's word as it is, the word, the true story of who Jesus is and what he's done to radically change our lives. And so James brings that word meekness back again here. And he says, I want you to live this out. This is your wisdom, gospel wisdom produces meekness in your life. Well, then we have to ask, well, what is meekness? And if we look around in our culture, we often find that a lot of times our culture sees meekness as weakness. Meekness isn't weakness. It's actually strength under control. And the idea here in the Greek for that word, meekness, is the idea of taking a high-spirited horse and bringing that horse under control. The horse hasn't lost his strength. He hasn't lost his power. But the horse is now submitting to the rule of its master. And so if we want to dig into that word even more, meekness is not just only humility, but it's taking an authority that you've been given or a power that you've been, getting, been given and submitting that for the good of another. It's choosing to take your power and your authority and submitting it for the good of others. And we see the perfect example of what that meekness looks like in practice in the life of Jesus Christ, as Paul tells us in Philippians 2, that Jesus, although he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something that he had to hold on to. But he submitted himself to the will of God and he came to earth taking on flesh and dying for us. And then being raised to new life and now sitting at the right hand of God. And Paul goes on and says, and someday every knee is going to bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all. Jesus is the example, the prime example of meekness. He did not give up his power or his strength. It didn't leave him, but he chose to keep it under control for the glory of the Father and for the good of his people. 
And so we see that meekness as something that James wants for us, what it looks like to really truly live out faith in the everyday is, are we a meek people? Maybe give you another example of how this works. Uh, Maybe a a different example of how it didn't work really well. Is if we go back in this true story to Genesis, in chapter three, we, we see Adam and Eve, and we know that story, created in the image of God, his image bearers, given authority, given power, given dominion, over everything that God had created. And Adam and Eve were called to go and to cultivate culture and to see it flourish. And they were called to be fruitful and multiply and make little image bearers that would go into the world and would cultivate all of creation to show the world who God is and what he's like. So Adam and Eve were given this strength. They were given this authority, this power, this dominion, but they were called to submit that under God's right rule. And God even went as far as to say, part of your submission to me is to believe everything that I say for you is good, right, and perfect. And one of the things I want you to submit and trust me in is not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? Because the day that you eat of that, you're gonna die. And so chapter three of Genesis comes along. We know the story, right? The tempter, the accuser, the Satan, the serpent comes and comes up to Adam and Eve and specifically he comes to Eve. And he said, did God really say that you can't eat of this tree? Because God knows that if you eat of it, guess what? You're gonna be just like him. You're gonna know good and evil. And in that moment, Eve had a choice. She could have exercised meekness. She could exercise that control and that power and that authority that God had given her and said, no, I'm submitting to God. I trust that everything that God says is good, right, and perfect. Everything that he does for me, I'm gonna trust him. He said, don't eat of it. There's a purpose for that. And instead of demonstrating meekness, Eve demonstrates foolishness, doesn't she? And do you remember what the text says? When she looks at the tree, when she saw that it was good for food and a delight to the eyes and desirable to make one wise. That's worldly wisdom right there. Worldly wisdom says, I can find wisdom outside of God, outside of God's commands, outside of relationship with God. And I wonder how many times we buy into that lie as well. Here's just a couple things noticing about worldly wisdom here in this scenario. And uh, what did Eve really want? And ask yourself to what you want in your life. And so Eve wanted independence instead of dependence on God and interdependence on one another. Are you looking to run away from God? Thinking that you can handle life by yourself? I don't need God. I have it all under control. And even further, are you saying, I don't really even need other people 
in my life to tell me the good news of Jesus. I can, I can be a loner. I can do this on my own. That's worldly wisdom. Eve was looking for self-actualization instead of believing her true identity and who God said that she was and who she was created to be. Do we look for our identity in the world, in our jobs, in relationships, or are we looking to Christ to find our true identity? She was also believing that it was better to rule herself than to submit to God. I got this. See, that's worldly wisdom. That's worldly wisdom. And I was thinking of my own life because as we often do, Chris and I will often mention is when you're preparing for a sermon, it's just kind of interesting how God takes the truth of that and just really digs it into your heart. Like, you really need to learn this. If you're gonna preach this, then get it right in your own life, right? And I'm thinking about this week that God is so good. And we sang that song, and it was before even Bethany even chose that song, thinking about, God, you're good. And we talked about this verse at the very beginning of James, is the verse that we find in Proverbs 9, 10, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And it's not a fear that you run away from God because you're scared of God, but it's the sense of awe and amazement. They say, God, you're good, right, and perfect. You're holy. It's like, I want you. You're so good. I don't want to be ruling myself. I don't want to chase after the things of the world. I need you, God, and everything that you are for me in and through Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection have made it possible for me to live in true life now with you. And family, I want to just encourage you that you have to come to Jesus. If you're walking with Jesus on a daily basis, you will be changed. Do you want that? I was talking with somebody earlier who just said, you know what, I, I know that I'm struggling and I don't want to be like that. And that's the key right there. I don't want to sit in my sin. I don't want to sit in worldly wisdom. I don't want to rule myself. I don't want to be independent from you, God. I need you. And if you have a relationship, family, with Jesus and you're walking daily with him, then you want to be in awe. You want to fear him. You want to submit your life under his rule because he's good and it's the best way to live. James continues in verse 14 and he says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not, be, do not boast and be False to the truth. What's, what's one of the indicators of worldly wisdom? You boast about it. Look how wise I am. Look how smart and understanding I am. One of the indicators of gospel wisdom is you say, Jesus, I need more of you. I need more wisdom. I need more understanding. I'm broken. 
I failed so much this week. Will you give me more of yourself, more of your word for me, shape me, help me to hunger for you and for other people? Fifteen, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly means it's of this world, it's, it's of this cultural culture, it's unspiritual, it means not alive to the things of God, it's demonic. Man, that one hit me this week. It's like, is, is it possible that if these worldly things of worldly wisdom are in my life, it's demonic? means it's opposed to God. It doesn't mean that you're possessed with the devil, okay? Let's just get that out really clear. But demonic activity, demonic here, means anything opposed to God. Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. Um, just to define these a little bit for you, bitter jealousy is this over-concern for one's self-interest so much so that it brings division. Selfish ambition, ambitions can be a great thing. Ambition is what's causing Chris and Bethany to do cultivate, right? Ambition is what causes us to be creative. It causes us to start new things. Ambition gets us moving. We're not idle, it's good. So be ambitious. But selfish ambition means that I'm looking out for myself in defiance of God and at the cost of other people. Have you ever seen anybody that has a lifestyle like that? What's the effects of that? Look, look what James says. For where jealousy, verse 16, and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Have you seen that lived out in your life or in the lives of others? What, what does it do? When you see somebody, let's just dialogue real quickly about this. When you see somebody who has maybe that selfish ambition or that bitter jealousy, what does it do to relationships? Thoughts. Yeah, fizzles out, creates tension. Tears it apart. Uses people. Yeah, James, as you probably have already noticed through this letter, this is directed to a community to a people, a church of God scattered. But this isn't just about you. Selfish ambition, bitter jealousy. Don't be fooled to think that if you have that, the only person affected is you. It affects everyone. And if it's happening in a church, it will affect all of the body of Christ. And James is saying that is not to be true of the people of God. That is not to be true of Missio. That we are to be a people not of selfish ambition or bitter jealousy because it causes division. 
It causes every vile practice. You've seen it probably in your own life. You've, many of you have experienced that. You've walked it out. And James is saying, this is worldly wisdom and it's demonic and this is not the way the people of God are supposed to be. You remember Adam and Eve, just kind of going back there real quickly, their response after they partook of the fruit that they weren't supposed to? What do they do? They run away, they hide, they cover up, they blame. It's exactly like James is, I wonder if James had the story of Adam and Eve in mind as he was kind of writing this. It's like every, <laughs> there's disorder, every vile practice. Yeah, that happened in the garden. And just evaluate your own life. Look inside and see is the gospel wisdom taking fruit. Are you trying to run from God and anything in your life right now? Are you trying to hide from him, hide from others? Are you trying to cover yourself up with good deeds? Thinking if I just do enough, if I just do more, then God's really gonna be happy with me. He's really gonna be pleased. I'm really gonna find favor if I can just put on those fig leaves. Are you blaming people for whatever it is? I'm the way I am because of so-and-so. Or I wouldn't act like this or I wouldn't have these feelings if it weren't for her or if it weren't for him. That's worldly wisdom. But here's the gospel, here's the good news, is that God comes in the person of Jesus Christ and all throughout the story, we see that God is saying, don't run away from me. In fact, God is running towards us. He's a pursuing God. And he says, you don't have to hide away from me anymore. In fact, I want you to hide in me. I am your hiding place. I am your rock and your refuge. You don't have to cover yourself up with your good works, which are filthy rags anyway. I'm not pleased with you more because of good things. No, instead, I'm covering you up with my son's perfect righteous deeds. You're covered up with Christ. You don't have to blame people anymore. You know why? Because Christ Jesus took the blame for us at the cross. Don't run, don't hide, don't cover, don't blame, but find yourself in me and through my son. So we've looked at what worldly wisdom looks like. Real quickly, let's look what gospel wisdom looks like. How is that produced? What is that good fruit? And James gets really specific. He said, the wisdom from above is first pure. It's innocent in motive. It's like he says it's first because that's just, that's the character of Jesus. John says that Jesus is pure in 1 John. He's innocent, perfect motives. And that purity then produces people who are peaceable. That we're a people that are not looking for division or disunity, but we're fighting against it. We're fighting against injustice. We're not okay when things are broken between us. That's not okay. Like, is there a relationship that you have right now that you're just pushing back and you're saying, I'm just, it's just, that's just the way it is. 
and you haven't really made an effort on your part as much as you're able to, to, to reconcile, don't be okay with that. We are to be a peaceable people. Gospel wisdom is gentle. It's kind to one another. It uplifts one another in our words, in our deeds. It's open to reason. It says that it's this willingness to say, I'm wrong. It's this posture when you're dialoguing, when having conversation, even with relationships, where you don't always have to be right. And you're open to the possibility that maybe you're really, really, really wrong. And you're open to the possibility of how much I need to change. Is your posture, when you think about your relationships, are you open to reason with your spouse, your kids, your colleagues? Gospel wisdom produces fruit full of mercy and good fruits. We're blessed to be a blessing. It's impartial and it's sincere. It means it's not double-minded. James has used that word earlier in the letter. It means without hypocrisy. We say and do what we say we're gonna say and do. We're people of integrity. We're sincere in our words and in our actions. And a harvest of righteousness, of good deeds, of right deeds, of right usefulness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The NIV says peacemakers, that we're peacemakers. It's a huge theme in this passage. Are we seeking to be peacemakers? So that's the what. <laughs> what does gospel wisdom really look like? What does it produce? The next question, where do I get it? Because you may be, as I was this week looking through this passage and going, man, my life of those seven and eight uh, different characteristics of gospel fruit. Like I, I, maybe, maybe I was able to get the peace part, but man, uh, open to reason, uh, not so much. And then the th you start thinking through that and you start, can be very tempted to start beating yourself up and going, how can I even live like this? The thing is, we can't conjure that up on our own. James says, this wisdom comes from above, right? And earlier in the letter, remember he says that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from him. That the only way your life can produce gospel fruit that James is talking about is it has to come from Jesus. It can't come from you. He empowers you. He enlivens you to live this way. I was drawn to the book of Hebrews this week, thinking through how do we live like this? And the author of Hebrews in verse 12 says, keep your eyes focused on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of your faith, whom for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and then sat down at the right hand of the throne of God in glory and in power. 
And so everything that Jesus has done in his life, death, and resurrection is the means for us to come to God. That Jesus displayed meekness when he submitted to the Father and he said, I will go to the cross and I will die for my people so that they might have new life. And so now when we turn to Christ in faith, when we know it's not our works, it's his and all of our guilt and all of our shame is nailed there at the cross, Jesus has made it possible for us now to be wise. In fact, Paul says that Jesus is the wisdom of God. He says this in 1 Corinthians, Jesus is the wisdom from God. He's our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore, as it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Don't boast in worldly wisdom, boast in Christ. How can I be pure? I have to look to Jesus who is pure, who died on the cross to make it possible that I in him can be a pure person. How can I be peaceable? I have to look to Jesus who is my Prince of Peace, who as scripture says in Romans, was the one who died for us so that we might have peace with God. How can I be gentle? I look to Jesus, the gentle one who says, all who are weary and burdened, come to me and you will find rest. Take my yoke upon you for I am gentle and I am humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. How can I be open to reason? Jesus reasoned with the father for us when he says, father, forgive them. They don't know what they've done. And he sits at the right hand of the father interceding for us now. So when we sin, it's this constant reminder, Father, don't look at what they've done, look at what I've done. And because of that, we can be open to reason. How can we be full of mercy and good fruits? Because everything that Jesus does is good, right, and perfect and holy. And in Christ, we can be impartial and sincere. That Jesus doesn't show favoritism. Every single one of us falls short of the glory of God. And yet he allows every single person this opportunity to come to him and embrace him. He doesn't play favorites. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Family, we are called to be a people of gospel wisdom. And the only way we can do that is we have to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, reminding ourselves constantly of the truth who Christ is and what he's done to make us his people. We are called to be a community displaying that to the world. God, make us a meek people. Help us to be a people of peace that is, has that is seen this harvest of righteousness in Peoria and beyond. In our families, and in our neighborhoods, and in our workplaces. Jesus, we need you. You're the only one that can do that for us. Guys, will you join me in that prayer for our family? Not just for you individually, but for all of us as Missio. And here's the, here's the awesome news. I just wanna leave you with this. As we have said over and over and over and over again, that he who began the good work in you will bring it to completion 
at the day of Jesus Christ. The good news is whether you have lived this out in your life this week or not, that if you have faith in Jesus, if you belong to God, if you are in the family of God, he has promised he will make this happen in your life. This fruit will be produced in you by the work of the spirit who dwells in you. Our work is to say, do I want that? Father, will I pursue you daily? Will I hunger after you? And God, give that hunger for me, but I wanna do it. I wanna love you. That love's not there. Give it to me, God. Help me trust you. Help me to live it out. And family, Jesus is faithful to make that true in our life. That's good news. He didn't just save us for the hereafter. He saved us for the here and now. Let's be a people that live like that. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that you would take our hearts and shape them and mold them into the image of Christ. Father, we know that to live the way that James is telling us to, it's going to take a heart transformation. And God, you can do that. We're asking, will you do that in each of us? Cleanse us once again, empower us and energize us, oh God, through your spirit to walk this way. Not that we, so that we earn your approval, but because we already have. And because we already have and we love you, we get to live like this. Make that reality set in our hearts and minds, God. For the glory of your name. We ask and pray in Christ Jesus, amen.